Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast, the podcast all about classic and obscure war movies, from the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords. If it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Hello and welcome back to Fighting on Film. This week you join us as we embark on Flyboys. Hooray! Yeah, a James Franco picture which tells a hybrid story of um, some... uh, Lafayette, Lafayette Escrigil, uh pilots. Um, yeah. Some we'll we'll come to the, the we'll caveat of that in a moment. Mm. But it, essentially, it's um, American pilots during the First World War in France around 1916, um, and we follow a new batch of recruits that join the squadron, um, and the uh, we follow their characters as they become seasoned pilots. Some of them are killed. It's a very it's a classic story of. Um, attrition within a squadron um, set in that classic World War One yeah. setting, you know. Um, it pulls from like aces high, it pulls from wings. Yes, exactly. A lot of stuff's going on. So without further ado, do you want to do cast? Yeah, we'll sure thing. Into production? So this movie's led by James Franco. Now, you know, you probably know Franco from his more uh, comedic roles. Um, but he made his name playing Daniel Desario in the 1999 series Freaks and Geeks. He then wins a Golden Globe in 2001 for playing James Dean in a TV film of the same name. And he's an absolute spit of James Dean. Um, in 2002, he played Harry Osborne in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films and the subsequent uh, sequels and threequels to that one. And then later on, uh, he got an Oscar nomination for his lead role in 2010's 127 Hours. Um, the one where he oh, yeah. know, cut off his hand in that ravine. Um, mm-hmm. And then up until 2021, he was a frequent collaborator with Seth Rogen. It includes Pineapple Express, This Is The End, The Interview, and the 2017's Disaster Artist, for which he won his 
second Golden Globe. So I think he's more known for kind of like these days being in more independent pictures, I think. Um, mm. But he's, he's done it all, really, I think, James Franco. Um, yeah. yeah. He's in The Greatest Raid as well, wasn't he? He was as well. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. He's not my favourite actor, I must admit. Mm. Um, but he's... Uh, I, we'll get onto it later. I, I Just caveat quickly. I don't enjoy this movie chat, uh, folks. Um, I really don't. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna steam through it. Um, so uh, secondly, we have uh, Martin Henderson plays Reed Cassidy. Now he's based upon Raoul Lufbery, who was a, a real flying ace who served with the, the Lafayette Escadrille in the Great War. Um, Martin Henderson himself is a New Zealand actor. He had an early role in 2002's Wind Talkers. Um, he also starred in the 2002 horror awesome. The Ring. Um, then later he had stints on like major US network TV. Uh, including an AFI award nomination for his role as a man who suffered a chronic illness in, in a 2009 episode of House um, called Painless. Um, he then played Dr. Nathan Riggs in Grey's Anatomy from 2015 to 2017. Then we have uh, Jean Renault, who plays uh, George Thenault, uh, who's the commander of the Lafayette Escadrille, as he was in uh, The Great War as well. Uh, featured last week, if you listened to our review of Ronin, but I'll do a quick overview of his career again for people who haven't. So he rose to international fame in 1994, playing Leon in uh, the film called Leon the Professional. And then he was in Godzilla in 1998, Ronin in the same year, Hotel Rwanda in 2005, The Da Vinci Code. He also voiced Mufasa in the French dub of The Lion King. Um, and more recent role saw him play a, a French businessman in Spike Lee's 2020 Vietnam War hybrid The Five Bloods. Um, really recognisable face. I, I always think, along with uh, Gerard Depardieu, he's probably the most famous French actor outside of France, the Western audiences. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah I, totally. Yeah. Mm, go on a limb and say that. Uh, then we have Jennifer Decker, another French actress. She plays Lucine, who's a Rawlings love interest. I think Flyboys was um, the biggest role uh, that Western audiences would know her for. But she appears in lots of French uh, film and TV roles, including 2007's French horror film Hellphone, um, a French uh, romance com uh, romance film called Lulu and Jimmy. And then more recently, she'd starred in a uh, 2022 French police procedural drama called Syndrome E, which uh, seems to be getting good reviews over in France. Then we have Abdul Salis, uh, who plays Eugene Skinner. Now, he's based on an African-American fighter pilot called Eugene Bullard. Um, who, you know, quite famous being one of the few uh, black pilots in the First World War. So he's a British actor and he's probably best known to British audiences for his role as Curtis Cooper in Casualty from 2003 to 2009. Um, he played Tony in Love Actually, I think. Uh, isn't that the character's friend who goes over to America? Isn't he the guy's mate in that? Very small role. In Love, in in Love Actually? In Love Actually, yeah. I don't know. I, I think he might be. I'll be honest, I'm not the one for that question. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. I watch it every other Christmas, I should know. Um, in 2005, he played Omar in uh, in the uh, film Sahara with Matthew McConaughey. And he also had, right. has had a lot of... All right. Yeah, all right, all right, all right. All right. He's had uh, TV roles uh, over here in the UK in The Bill, Doctor Who, Outnumbered. I think he played a small role in two episodes of EastEnders in 2019. More recently, he's been in Catherine Tate's Netflix comedy called Hard Sell, and he has had a role in Amazon's fantasy series, The Wheel of Time. Really accomplished oh. British character actor. Uh, then we have Philip Winchester playing William Jensen, another one of the pilots. Uh, his earliest role uh, is, is, as, is as a militiaman in 1998's The Patriot. 
And he goes on to do a lot of American TV and film work. He played Scott Tracy in the 2004 Thunderbirds remake, um, which I'd wiped from my memory um, (laughs) because I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. Um, It's shocking. Uh, His biggest TV role today is probably playing Peter Stone in Chicago PD. And then later he reprises the role in different versions of Chicago PD. And then he reprises the role again in in the Law and Order Special Victims Unit, which I think he's still playing. Um, So many of those shows are linked the same together. thing in, in the different universe but the same town or city it confuses me um i used to let ncis if that's a similar type of thing but uh winchester's I think it is, yeah i think it is yeah winchester's only other military role is in 2020's rogue where he plays a mercenary alongside megan fox which looked interesting right. megan three coming mm. in megan hot, nice. month three we keep threatening it we'll do it <laughs> if you don't if you guys don't stop us we'll do it yeah if um, you do if you if you if you stop listening, we will do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then we have Tyler Labine, who plays Briggs Lowry. He's the son of a, I think, like a wealthy, um, a wealthy businessman in America, and he wants to go and prove himself yeah. to his his father. Uh, Tyler's a Canadian actor who's featured on a lot of American and Canadian TV and films. Again, early role is in the teen drama Breaker High from 1997 to 98. He played D- uh, Dale in the cult 2010 horror film Tucker and Dale versus Evil. He also features in 2011's um, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, which also you know, features James Franco in the lead of that one. And then he also played uh, at the moment, well, probably I think it's, uh, a few months ago it, it ceased, but he was playing Dr. Frome on the US medical drama New Amsterdam that ran for five seasons from 2017 to 2023. Then we have David Ellison as Eddie Beagle. Uh, he's the character that's a, it's like a small-time crook and spoilers, they, they accuse him of being a German spy, but it turns out he's not a spy. He's just covering for the fact that he's a thief um, back in America. Robbed a bank with a toy gun. Robbed a bank with a toy gun, yeah. Uh, he's an American actor, but he's actually probably more well-known as the founder and CEO of Skydance Media, which is the production company that don't encroach on Matt's production notes. Um, but they're a production company that were founded in 20, uh, 2006 by uh, uh, Ellison, and the first film they worked on was Flyboys, Um and he also served as an uncredited executive producer on the film. Um, his other acting roles include small parts in a, a made-for-TV movie called Blank Slate and a, whole, a film called Hole in One, which is a 2009 golf comedy. Um, but he's also acted as a producer on some big uh, war movies in the last few years, including 2021's The Tomorrow War, uh, Top Gun Maverick, and uh, more recently, The Greatest Beer Run Ever. Is Tomorrow War the one with Chris Pratt? It is, yeah. Oh my god! Okay, that was interesting. Oof. That film. Oof. Yeah. Oof. And then rounding out the cast, the last couple of people here, um, we have Tim Piggott Smith in a very very small cameo as Mr. Lowry, uh, uh, Briggs's father. Um, there's yep. a scene where very he good, sees him off in the uh, at, a, at a dock in New York, um, and Tim uh, was known for you know lots of british uh, tv and film again but he was in 1979 aces high he later appeared as a, as major rose in 1981's escape to victory um he was in the 2002 remake of the four feathers His tv roles include parts in danger uxb in 1979 he's in a foiled yeah. war episode and he also narrated the first series of the 1994 documentary battlefield if you remember that i do i remember i remember watching that on the uh, yeah. history channel or was it discovery one of History Channel on Discovery. Yeah, that was yeah. good. But you're not, you know, Back when the History Channel was good. Oh, yeah. You know, hashtag make History Channel great again. Mm-hmm. And then rounding out the cast, we have uh, Gunnar Winberg um, as the Black Falcon, the uh, sort of the film's version of the Red Baron. 
Um, and he's yeah. a Swedish actor, um, and he's a Swedish actor, and whose only credits I could find include this film, a role in Danny Boyle's film Millions, and then a role as a Luftwaffe pilot in Dan Snow's Battlefield Britain from 2004. Wow, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So that's your cast, really, and I think it's a shame because everyone else, apart from James Franco, doesn't have a lot to do, I don't think, mm. really. They sort of just facilitate James Franco's lead role. Yeah, and he's the most boring character. And he is genuinely the most boring character in it. <laughs> but more on that later, because well, we'll before, before we get into that, let's uh, let's run over the uh, the production side of things. Mm. So, directed by Tony Bill, an actor, director, producer, lots of TV credits um, from the sixties onwards. Directed mostly TV movies uh, before or and after this. It was produced by Dean Devlin, um, who's probably best known for a spate of huge 90s movies, including mm. Universal Soldier. Not that one. Not the, that one. The better one. The better one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Stargate, Independence Day 1 and 2, um, The Patriot, and Eight-Legged Freaks, which is... Wow. Uh, I, can't, I like that film. Oh, I God, no. I was thinking this. I hadn't seen it in years. But it may be terrified of spiders when I was little. I know, I know. Not as bad as was it arachnophobia with um Oh yeah. Is it Pierce Brosnan in that? I don't know. Anyway, that's a tangent. Cinematography was handled by Henry Braham, who uh did was the director of photography on Land Girls in nineteen ninety-eight, Shackleton in two thousand and two, The Golden Compass, Guardians of the Galaxy Two in twenty seventeen, uh Suicide Squad in twenty twenty one. So he's done some big films. Yeah, yeah. Um and this was actually one of the very first films uh, to be shot on Panavision's Genesis camera, which Ooh. gives it that uh, that crisp look, which is obviously intersliced with a lot of the special effects, which yeah. this film has a lot of, as you would expect. So a lot of um, like map backgrounds, CG environments, mm -hmm. um, animation and aircraft stuff, obviously. And that was all handled by Double Negative a very, very famous visual effects company uh, with a with an incredible list of credits behind them. Um, some of their war-orientated movies include Enemy at the Gates, Captain Corelli's Mandolin, uh, Children of Men, Atonement, Battleship, World War Z, Dunkirk, although I don't know how much they did in that, Greyhound, um, The 800, which we've covered, uh, Battle of Lake Changjin, which we need to cover, Devotion, which we're planning on covering, Oppenheimer, which is upcoming, and also the uh, the the soon to be adapted Frederick Forsyth novella, The Shepherd, which apparently John Travolta is involved with, but mm. they're going to be doing the visual effects for it. Um, Interesting. Yeah the the score comes from Trevor Rabin, um, who is probably best known for it. Again, a spate of big '90s movies where he did the score for movies like Con Air, Armageddon, Enemy of the State. Um, Deep Blue Sea, Gone in 60 Seconds, National Treasure, The Great Raid, um, National Treasure 2, and uh, Five Days of War, which is a uh, Val Kilmer-led movie about um, the Russian-Georgian War. Yeah, um, I remember when that came out. Yeah. Which looks great. I'd like to cover that one. That'd be a good one. It would be good. So the film was filmed in the UK with a lot of the the uh, the Escadrille Aerodrome uh, being filmed at RAF Halton. Um, just to give an idea of how much double negative 
did on the visual effects side of things, they have a little write-up on their actual website, which says visual effects shots make up approximately 50 minutes of Flyboys and double negatives work covers 740 plus shots, including CG models of period aircraft, animation, CG environments, and map background paintings. So you can see just how much visual effects stuff went into this film. A lot. Um, budget was about $60 million uh, with Incredible. a return of uh, just under $18 million. So it was actually on a couple of the biggest flop of you know, 2016 Huge flop. lists. Huge flop. Um, apparently, no studio would, would fund the production. Um, I wonder why. Numerous sources online. <laughs> You've seen the fucking um, film. Well, that's the first <laughs> F-bomb. Christ. We, we said 16 on Twitter, minutes, 33 seconds. 16 minutes in. There we go. Oh, yeah, there we go. That's amazing. You've gotten this far. <laughs> I have to time it. I promised people I would time it. <laughs> um, so Maybe it was, it it was finance. <laughs> the F-bomb siren. <laughs> so as I say, no studios would, would back the film. And uh, it was mostly funded by a group of filmmakers and investors led by uh, Dean Devlin. Um and it's a huge budget for for an independent film. What is Massive. essentially an independent film? Yeah. And just to just to round out um, the production side of things, we have to talk about the controversy around the historical consultant for the film. Yeah. So um, Jack Livesey um, was the the historical advisor to the the production, and he was associated with Imperial War Museum, Duxford. Um, was a curatorial assistant there, I believe, for a number of years, up until 2006, when um, he was convicted of benefit fraud. Wow. Um, yeah, thirty thousand pounds worth, apparently. Um, Blimey. But around this around this case, um, there was research done into his background, and it was found that he'd claimed to be a member of two para who had served right. in Northern Ireland and the Falklands, and oh. he'd won a military medal. Um, and it turned out that none of that was true. He'd been in the Army Catering Corps uh, for a number of years, but had never been to the Falklands, never been in two para. Um, so this was quite a shock. And he'd had credits on documentaries, including Death and Destruction in the Falaise Gap, Battlefield Detectives. Uh, he was an advisor on the BBC documentary uh, D-Day to Berlin. And obviously, he was uh, the advisor on Flyboys, and he also claimed to have worked on Band of Brothers and Saving Private Ryan, um, which we don't believe he actually was associated with. Right. Okay. Um, so he was outed as a bit of a um, what I suppose we'll call a Walt. Yeah. So it's a, a little bit of stolen valor. Although he did serve, but not as how he he claimed to no. to get into. Um, I the, always wonder the, why they they claim to roll medals when it's so easy to look it up. Yeah, I it really is. The, the Gazette exists. It's mm, exactly. public record, literally. Mm. Um, weirdly, um, it seems that his area of expertise for, for what they are was actually armoured vehicles, not aircraft. Oh. So probably not the best um, historical Well, he got it fucking wrong movie. because there's there's tanks in this and it's too early. If, it, if it's 1916 and the, the Germans are trying to cross the Meurs into Paris... Mark One tanks ha- hasn't have not yet been used in action. 
It's not yeah, July 1st yet. And, and so why the heck are they in the movie? Why the heck are they in <laughs> No Man's Land, my guy? If you're going to lie, at least lie well, you know? Um, Show you're working, my dude, my dude. Oh. And one last little tidbit for everyone. James Franco apparently earned his pilot's license um, yeah. in preparation for the film. Um, and filmed a number of uh, airborne sequences, reaction shots, basically in cockpit shots. Um, apparently all of the actors did this. Um, all the principal cast recorded airborne um, reaction shots, but only Franco's were used. So yeah, I'm not sure what the problem was with everyone else's. Perhaps they were just what it went very good. Maybe Perhaps not. they went quite up to the caliber of Robert De Niro's I'm driving fast face. Perhaps Maybe not. not. Maybe not. Yeah. I also have a, a small link to the movie this week. Which is a rare you do, thing. Don't you? It's a very small link. Um, so I used to be in a World War One reenactment group. I think I've mentioned it a couple of times on the pod before. Um, and just around the time I, I actually joined that group, I think it was around the time the movie had either finished um production or it had just been released in the UK. I don't think it was released in the UK till 2007. Um, so the story goes that we used to do, and we did it a few times, I, I did it with them too, and we used to do an uh, air show event at the Shuttleworth uh, Historical Aircraft Collection. Um, they've got an airfield and they've got some of the oldest, um, some of the oldest aircraft, like flyable aircraft in the world um, there. It's really great. If you can go, please go it's it's fantastic i've always um, wanted to yeah it's really really great we used to do a little show there for them and the story goes um if any of my friends are listening please you know enlighten us further um or message me and i'll get it on the twitter that apparently we got given this newport i think it's a newport 12 two-seater observation aircraft right. um there was a model used for this a scale model like one one scale like one two scale i can't remember a while ago now about 10 years ago um and yeah, we got given it in lieu of payment for a gig and um, for a show. And it was used in the wow. film Flyboys. So we used to do a little sort of presentation in the aircraft. And it was all a little bit blackadder, but there was a serious message to it. And I used to do the, the one of the roles in that little little thing. Um, I'll try and dig out some photos for the Twitter. Um, and that apparently yeah, good. Was, uh, was used in the movie Flyboys. So that's my very small connection to that film. But yeah. Wow, cool. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but we all hated the film. Like at the time, we thought it was pants then. Thought it was bloody pants now. Did you see it in cinemas? I got it on DVD, rented it. Okay. Um, at the time, so I was like, oh, you know, I know that play. I played from that movie, um, and I watched it. Didn't like it at the time. I don't think I've seen it since it came out. And I thoroughly dislike it now. Um, <laughs> I hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen it. Um, Matt, you poor summer child. I hadn't seen it, and I suggested we do it. Um, yeah, this is I Matt's doing that. this week. Usually, yeah, I, this is all, I suggest this is on me this week. Yeah. Um, and on that note, I think it's time for a retro review. And uh, this week we have one from the San Francisco Chronicle uh, from the 22nd of September 2006. Flyboys is Tony Bill's shot at a ripping old school adventure about World War One pilots. But besides some fine dog feet, dog, dog feet. Dogfight sequences. <laughs> sorry, sorry. But besides some fine dogfight sequences, let me let me do that again. <clears throat> but besides some fine dogfight sequences, it often feels threadbare, just an exercise in recycling. The filmmaker's heavy reliance on prefabricated parts makes the movie feel long. It could easily have ended after the epic battle sequence in which the Lafayette flyers pursue a German dirigible. 
definitely agree. Definitely mm-hmm. agree. Um, mm-hmm. it, the film is two hours, 18 minutes long. And my God, can you feel every you minute really of that feel tick it. by? You really feel um, it. Yeah. That's a fair review. I, I, I do think that's fair. I know it wasn't reviewed quite positively at the time anyway. From what mm. I remember, I remember, I remember seeing adverts for it. I remember seeing like print I think, ads. I think the Guardian like called it perfectly workmanlike. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of get that their as well. Brief review. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not for me. I mean, I, we'll talk more about the pacing later on, but it, it does definitely mm. overstay its welcome by probably forty minutes to half hour, and I haven't felt that way on the show for a long time. No, I know. Even, I know. even with like the rubbish we did in Merc Month, some of the rubbish we did there. Didn't feel like yeah. Universal Soldier 1971, 1970, sorry, didn't oh, feel like overly long. compared to yeah, this. exactly. Yeah. That's what's bizarre to me. You spend 60 million, you obviously, you hire in some talent. The guy that wrote this wrote The Sting, for God's sake. Like, Yeah, exactly. You know, so it's, it's not yeah. like the guy can't yeah. write, but it's just yeah. it just feels like this is everyone's first go at doing a military movie, and they haven't necessarily maybe watched enough of the famous ones to sort of get the pacing, get the way dialogue should work. People, yeah, oh, we'll talk about it later because I've got a lot to cover in my final thoughts. Yeah, but, yeah, I'm know, sure we will. Let's the get the opinion of some of our listeners, shall we? Yeah. With the one-word reviews. So Ben Yarnell says, turgid. Eamon says, fiction. JD says, shovel. Uh, Darren Skerritt says, CGI fest, all one word, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim Hamilton said, fun. Mark C said merde. Peter Lyon said pantload, all one word. John Adams said garbage. Dave Gerard said CGY. <laughs> Inkakuchi said stalled. And David Glynn said shite. We had a lot of those. We had a lot of shites. We shite. did. We did. I've, um, I think that so I think there's some consensus. There is a consensus, yeah. And as with the Ronin one, I mean, thanks everyone for your input again for another nice selection there. But they were coming in thick and fast, and I—I mm-hmm. I don't think at the at the t- point of me putting up the one word review, I think Matt had just finished the movie, so it was very funny to like see them coming in. And Rob watched us... it in two parts. I had—I could i couldn't I, do I, it in one I, go. I did. I did leave some spoilers for you as well in voice I found, notes. I know. I found. I, I, I already knew what happened anyway, but it was sort. It was um. It was like reopening an old wound. <laughs> this film. I was just like, <laughs> oh god, what have I done? You know. But it was, it's just, I, I got to a point in the movie where I just was looking at my phone too much. And I was like, no, no, I can't do this. And then I go back to it and I just pulled my phone up again. And I was like, because TikTok memes were well more interesting, were way more interesting than what was going on on screen. And I was like, yeah, oh. my dad came in and he was like, what are you watching? And I was like, oh, just this, this film. And he said, what's it like? I said, oh, it's, it's, it's dad, a tough one. Do yourself a favor, Mr. Moss, yeah. do yourself a favor, go back. To whatever you were doing before, it's one hundred percent more enjoyable. Yeah. Even if it was putting nails in your own eyeballs, you'd get far more enjoyment <laughs> out of that. Hand off with a shovel. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. On that note, let's move on to the alley tally and talk about some of the things that the film got did well. Did okay at yeah. I'll give it that. Yeah. Let's go with that. It's time for Ali Tally on Fighting on Film. So, Rob, it's the Ali Tally where we pick our favourite bits of kit, things that are cool from the film, equipment, uniforms, 
What have you got? What, what, what do you think this week? So my little favourite thing, and I do think it's cool because it's referenced later on in another James Franco film. I like the little, the MLE, was it Mali? How do you say that as a, a weapons historian? It's short for Medell. It's the Medell. French, um, yeah, short for Medell. So it's this little so it's sort of... Medell, 1892. That's it, yeah. A revolver used by James Franco. It's given to him earlier on in the film and he uses it to dispatch the, the Black Falcon near the end of the movie. Spoiler alert, everyone. Um, he uses it to dispatch... Fucking hell, that bit's, that's, that's insane, yeah, that part of the film. Oh, God, I'm gonna, yeah. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, but Jesus. Yeah, it's just, oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, although I did think, caveat that quickly, I thought he was going to let him go because he let him go earlier on. And if he did let him go, I think... No, he didn't. This. He didn't let him go earlier on. He did? He didn't he not? That was the other dude that... that oh, well, everyone looks the bloody same when they've got their there flying two, helmets right, on. Okay, before we, before we actually move on to your point, so there was two German pilots that were, were introduced to the Black Falcon, the Red Baron, yeah. who's in a black um, uh, Fokker, Fokker D1, yeah, DR1, yeah, um, and there's an, there was another who was like a introduced as a as a more chivalric. Um, oh yeah, sorry, a no, better right. a better type yeah. of German, and he does come up behind him because he spared him earlier and it's, yeah. it's like a it's like a chivalry thing but yeah the yeah. The, the black falcons are a baddie through and through he machine barely, guns, um, barely a villain in this he machine guns one of the pilots on the ground that's it yeah which i don't know whether that ever happened in, in oh i in don't reality. know it was quite funny though because when the guy turns around and you realize he's going to get machine oh. gunned i open i howl with laughter anyway get back to my alley tally point so i like the fact that that revolver that is given to Frank and he uses it at the end. It comes back up in the movie. This is the end um, where I think it's like a post-apocalyptic movie. Yeah. Um, and he brings it up and he, he's he got, I think it's like the only weapon they have to defend themselves. Against he's playing themselves, aren't they? He's playing, they're playing themselves yeah. and he goes, Oh, this is the gun I got I kept from Flyboys." So I think that's a nice little movie reference yeah. you wouldn't expect. Um, but I like, you know, I like the fact that most of the kit that I saw that was on display looked right like the french have lapels Hassles, yeah the germans mm-hmm. have givers the trenches didn't did. look too shabby from the air they didn't actually yeah. like the the all like the setup of their like little air the guns are pretty good. good in this film yeah whoever was guns, the armor in this i i couldn't find it on the list oh shame did a pretty good job i couldn't remember if anyone that we knew at the time worked on it i don't think so anyway no hmm yeah, I mean, I know. It, it's you're right. I mean, the Gavers, the MG08 on the yeah. sled. Um, yeah, that was nice. Yeah, the French trench looked pretty good. Um, some of the Germans were wearing pickle halbs, which some people online complained about. But it, the film's set in summer 1916. Yeah. Kind of made. Yeah, they're only See, just got, coming in. But they've got the covers a transitional on as well. thing. So they it's have. not like they're wearing them without covers, like it's you know it's summer nineteen fourteen. They've yeah they, they've oh, got no, the covers no. or anything like that. You, I mean, you, I've seen some guys or some evidence that you know they're seen later on in the war, but I think maybe it's just some guys are holding on to them still. Um, there's definitely pictures of lads who've captured them. It's, it's, that's the first... definitely not my biggest problem with the film. Put it that no, way. No, it's not. I know it's not. I'm just saying like that, that there are pictures of lads who's cap- who captured them on the first day of the Somme as well. So. Yeah, Def- definitely they, there. They were phasing them through. It's like anything yeah, else. Exactly. Um, in terms of other firearms, you know, we got uh, Vickers air- aircraft machine guns, pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a few little scenes with those where the 
there's a scene where they're checking belts. I think Franco's character and Eugene are sat and they're checking belts and Franco pulls out some rounds and says, got to check these belts because this round's bent or damaged. Yeah. It's probably a bit yeah, damaged. And then in the next scene, the belt, one of them has a belt jam. machine. Shock horror. I know. But I thought I thought that scene might be in like a nice little nod to um, Dawn Patrol, where there's a scene Ooh, where two yeah. of the characters are checking belts in that. But, but again, back to that like pacing and, you know, um, feel of the film. That seems so rushed. It cuts away so fast mm-hmm. because they're called away on a on a scramble. Yeah, um, everything and it about just that curtails that conversation. Yeah, everything. I feel like the training is is handled in a montage where it really shouldn't have been. Like the yeah. first hour yeah. of this movie should have been them learning to become pilots, and the second maybe well, it kind of was. It kind of was, but it, was it felt too, like it. it felt too quick, and that's a shame because the. All the this is where my alley tally thing comes in. Everything, most of the things that I've seen, at least on screen, f- for like you know, mise en scène, where mm. the money's been spent, you know, your setting, your production design is great, it's really well thought out. Yeah. Um, but then it's how it's used. You know, you've got all this training montage, and it's just over in like twenty minutes. And I don't buy them not being flyers ten minutes ago, and then they can fly these planes perfectly fine. None of them have any real issues. Yeah, I just, I just I, don't buy it well, good, well enough. I, I liked the montage. I thought it was one of the better paced parts of the film. So we kind of disagree a little bit there, which is, you know, novel. I think um, it's too quick. Yeah, I, th- oh, I think it's okay. I th- well, perhaps I, I thought it was okay before the, you know, the other two thirds of the film followed it. <laughs> and it, that kind of dragged out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I feel like it, they covered a lot of ground with it. They covered like... Um, balance they covered mm. the you know the, the the machine gun training simulator setup they had i've seen photographs where they oh, did too. stuff like that yeah 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 um so that was obviously you know something that's that why for me it felt rushed because i influenced as someone as someone who's watching this movie I, every i try and sit down every time i watch a movie for this show i think right i don't know anything about this period teach me something show yeah. me something and i think oh okay learning to fly a biplane in 1916 when planes have only been around for just over a decade properly at this point yeah i want to know like you know how do you go from a civilian to a pilot like it just happened too quickly for me of course it's supposed to be spread out over a a few months yeah yeah weeks of training but yeah it rattles through that bit I, i liked i liked the way that they um showed the progression they taught them how to fly then they taught them how to like shoot and then they taught them how to dogfight in theory it's just if only just like john renault going daka 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 that was funny movements yeah that was was great yeah um anyway back back in terms of (laughs) yeah yeah. in in terms of alley kit so the vickers get a couple of cool scenes where there's uh there's a bit where cassidy hands out hammers that guy just hands stuff out like revolvers Mm -hmm. and hammers yeah it's like here's a here's a hammer for sorting out your 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 vicar's gun. Here's a revolver for offing yourself when you're on fire. Yeah. Um. He's a bundle of laughs. Oh um, yeah. But it's the it's the, the hammer is like the hammer that the dude in Shawshank Redemption got for <laughs> chipping his way out of his cell. It's like the least helpful thing to be in the air with. Fisher Price, my first hammer, so isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's like it's a very small like tack hammer. Where he, it. 
and James Franco is like whacking the the um the charging handle, and that's not how you clear a jam on a Vickers. Like if you get a stoppage on a Vickers, there's drills mm-hmm. and Rich Fisher over the Vickers Machine Gun Collection and Research Association, who we've had on the show, great friend of ours, will tell you all about in great detail. Um, but we didn't get any of the real nuance of this is how many rounds we've got in the aircraft. This is how we might reload the gun if we need to. Um, mm. There was no bit in that montage where they went, well, if you have a stoppage, rack it, pull the belt through, yeah. rack it. Yeah, yeah. That kind of I thing. get what you mean. Um, but yeah, the, the bit where he was hitting it with a hammer, I was just like, oh, Richard, it's Richard, funny. Richard, hate this. It's just funny this. to me. Yeah. <laughs> but I, no, it is. jumping off of that, though, I do think the amount of plane, the amount of biplanes it shows is nice. You know, like 19 Newport 17s. I agree. just going to agree and say that the, the fact that they showed not one, but two types of, of heavy bomber, which is something that no one yeah. ever really thinks about when they think of World War II aviation and, and that sort of thing, um, was, was quite nice. You know, showing that gotha and the yeah, happy page. Yeah, love a gotha. Huge thing. Yeah. Great. And a handy we do, page. We just don't, yeah. like, the, no, you don't the, see the general public don't think about no. big strategic bomber type stuff in World War One. They think that's a World War Two thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was an interesting inclusion. It made for a nice set piece. It did. Um, yeah. But the, the, the Zeppelin yeah, bit, as you were going to mention... Yeah, no, I just I just like the fact that they show enough a lot of those biplanes. You know, care's obviously been taken to get them right and show them in the air well as they can for 2006 CGI. But I think then then it falls apart a little bit where you've got <laughs> the Germans all in red Fokker DR ones and the the Black yeah. Falcon in the in the in the black coloured one. Where I'm just like, do do you think we're stupid? Like as a, as an audience. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, because the Red Baron flew a red plane in the First World War, that means every German they all aircraft was a red plane. Yeah. No, like, it's just wrong. And I'm like, we as an audience know what these Newport 17s that are being flown by our lead characters look like, right? You've shown us them a lot. We would know. They have that nice shot where they land and come through the fog. Yeah, exactly. We that, would that's know a, on that's screen a shot. who's attacking who. You don't have to have them all as the Red Baron type aircraft. That's, I think this movie not. Well, how uh, do we uh, know they're evil if if, oh, if they're not God, exactly evil. exactly? And how do we know? How do we not know that they're super evil when they're black? Oh God, yeah, exactly. No, I, I could totally get what you mean. It's, but it's one of the first times in the movie where I thought, right, this is the the movie treats its audience with contempt. It doesn't think you're smart enough to realise that. As an audience member, if the if the Germans planes aren't red or black, then oh my God, what are they? It just yep. falls apart yep. there for me. Yeah, I know. And obviously some of the depictions of what they're doing in the air is a little bit off. I don't think that some of the acrobatics seem yeah, a little overdone. Yeah, it's just it's overdone. for the film, isn't it? You know, um, the, the, we'll probably talk about this in favourite scenes because some of the, the set pieces are good, um, but they're a little they're overblown. Good, but there's too many of them. I don't say that yeah, about films, yeah, there really. Is. There's too many yeah. big big set pieces yeah i will as we say we will get into this later but as far as ali tally is concerned as well as i mentioned it earlier the mark one british tank wreckage in no man's land mm. makes no sense to me in the french sector but i guess if you didn't know anything about first world war tanks you might not know maybe, that maybe they'd swapped sectors with a british division or something like maybe, that maybe oh, i it's just they're doing a lot of head I mean, that's my that, work. that was the least of my issues with that i know it was no I, I, just, I just felt i have utter Contemporary film 
so it's just it just sticks out to me um and then the germans having tanks when the woman sees them doing their big push which yeah looked to be about you know about 100 blokes i'm like that's a big push is it um and they've got like six mark one tanks that are badged up with their iron crosses on and i'm like oh, for god's mm-hmm. sake who's done that there's no need no need yeah. at all um just annoys me um in terms of that that, that sequence again well i'm sure we will mention in oh. how unnecessary a lot of that is really is um a couple of things that i wanted to mention um there's a, a massive cognac flex in the film where um, <laughs> it really is yeah where there's a 100 year old vintage remy martin um cognac uh, which i think in the film they call it a louis the 15th but it's that doesn't exist it's like a louis the 13th right um and that's a nice scene but it's again so rushed there's a sequence so just to go back a little bit eugene's character has been um accepted into the squadron and there's a little bit of pushback in terms of his race from mm-hmm. the the rich character i've forgotten his name Oh, uh, Briggs. Oh. Briggs. Briggs, thank you. <laughs> so there's been a little bit of pushback from Briggs because he doesn't want to be in the same billet as someone who would be his servant back home. Um, and Eugene obviously later saves his life in air-to-air combat. Mm-hmm. And as a um, like a olive branch, uh, Briggs brings in his... 100 year old vintage bottle of cognac and says i'm sorry for being an arse thank you for saving my life let's have a drink and they sit down have a drink they have a chat and it's a good scene um two competent actors doing well with a scene a rare scene in this film where they're the movie can't that have that the movie James cannot Franco. have that because it cuts away from oh, i know before they can i know this is this is my point too they move away from it really yeah. quick and it's yeah it's a shame um what else is in here? There's a bit where someone says nine millimeter spandaus, which um incorrect seven point nine two. Um <laughs> I gotta I gotta I gotta do it, Rob. I gotta Matt's, do it. I'm Matt's gonna, history, count. Matt's Matt's firearms story bit. professional will not let him let that slide. coming through, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um oh and, and Franco had his fingers in the wrong place on the Vickers. Oh, did he? Um, I didn't he, had them, that. he had them inside the the spade grips rather than oh. like the, his index finger over the top on the oh, okay. on the top bit. Yeah, um, but yeah, everyone else in that sequence in the little trainer, where they're in the in the little aircraft wooden aircraft thing, being pushed up and down against targets yeah. and stuff, they've all got they're all got the the correct finger placement oh. on the on the gun. Mm-hmm. Maybe it could just be showing him. As James wasn't being listening a bit, in the briefing. Being a bit of an inept farmhand, maybe he's doing a little bit of uh, meth maybe, thing there. Maybe, maybe. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. 
Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. But before we move away from the alley tally, we're going to bring back a fan favorite of at least two people I've seen comment on it. It's the trope tally, Rob. We're bringing it back. Hey! <laughs> because there's a few in this. Christ. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we had we had the train send off trope, where yep. um, where one of the guys is waved off by his his fiance, chases yep. after him on the on the platform. We had the grouchy, all my friends are dead, dude, Cassidy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is yep. the classic um, setup of that kind of character. We had the rich, arrogant dude with daddy issues. Yeah, yeah. We had um, Franco's relief when the girl he fancies isn't a prostitute. Mm-hmm. She's um, a real followed person. by yeah. yeah, followed by Franco's relief when he realizes that those kids aren't hers. Yeah. Palpable. It's palpable. I know. It's you so can see weird. his face. Yeah, it's it's like, so oh, thank Christ. <laughs> it's like oh my god, thank. I, won't have I thought to... I was going to have to like fall in love with a prostitute then. Yeah. I oh. thought oh god. You know he's he's all happy when when the my, uh, the madam my French pilot's money won't hardly cover these three children. Thank <laughs> God. <laughs> it's so bad. It's I know. So, I was I was the literally unfounded. The one trope I hate the most, and I hate it, and me and Matt were talking about this earlier, is in fiction movies where they give you like the um, text on the screen of what happened to them Ooh, afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't stand it, especially in fiction films. When the characters aren't real. Like, I don't need real. to know what their lives did I don't after care. this. Yeah. Certain they movies that have done it well. And it like, make, if you don't know, it makes you think it's real. And it does ex- say at the exactly. beginning of the film, doesn't it, that this is based on the true story. Yeah, yeah. I hate that Not as well. a true story. I, I hate... The true story. You know... In Helvetica. It's Helvetica font. Yeah, it's like, choose any other fucking font. You know, it, it dates it horrendously. It could have been um, quite it makes it like it's the makes it look like it's a placeholder. That's what I hate about it. That, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. Um, and then the only film that I know that does it well is at the end of National Lampoon's Animal House, where okay. they they fit more jokes in. So that there's a character who's in like the the army cadet, the American version of the army cadets, and they say at the end, "Oh, he was fragged by his men in Vietnam." Um, <laughs> oh and then they say that. Um, the character that uh, John Belushi played um, went on to be like political advisor to one of the presidents. Was it Bush or something? Yeah. Yeah. yeah but yeah. they used it, they use it as, as a trope, but then they fitted more jokes in. But yeah. when the movie, when it does it like, Oh, and this guy went on to, he never flew again. I'm like, well, it doesn't fucking exist. So why do I care? <laughs> well, of course he never flew again. Cause like, he never existed in the first <laughs> he didn't place. Exist in the first place. And then the thing that annoyed me the most was Eugene Bullard's, the character of you know their Eugene character, um, played by Abdul Salis, you that's your opportunity to go. However, the real Eugene Skinner, sorry, the real Eugene Bullard, yeah, was the first one of the first African American pilots to fly fighter aircraft or something. Yeah, yeah. There's your opportunity to do more, but the yeah. film doesn't want to do more. It just wants to. Well, no, they just gave they gave Eugene Skinner a completely different backstory. Like mm-hmm. he joined the American army and he wasn't allowed to fly, and then he became yeah. a an airmail pilot. Which is that chap? That's that's that not chapping, what Bullard did. 
in the real world, that chap is so interesting because he goes on to fight for the French at the start of the Second World War. Yes. Um, and and like that, he a film about him would be. He was a incredible. drummer in nightclubs. He ran his own gym. Yeah. He knew Do you imagine Louis the biopic about that guy? You wouldn't believe it. Yeah. Like, oh, and that's what annoys me about films like this. This you... this film is a waste of money. They could have made a Eugene Ballard <laughs> film. That's that's the tagline for this episode, folks. <laughs> this film is a waste of money. It is. Wait, Unfortunately, it is. That's piss away sixty mil. Oh I mean, god, yeah. It's just yeah. It's weak. All right, let me finish the trope tally, Rob. Quick. We've got a couple more. Yeah. Religious dude being religious, singing hymns in dogfights. Yeah. Um, Not firing when you have a clear shot just to prolong the dogfight. Yep. Yeah. Celebrating and then being shot down in the moment of celebrating. (laughs) Yeah, that was funny. (laughs) Mortally wounded noble sacrifice. Yeah, crikey. Yeah. When he he flies into the Zeppelin. He does. Yeah, that's that's it for the trope tally this week, guys. And I, I'm so glad we could bring it back. Can I put because... in my own Flyboys trope? Of course. Every time, and I sent Matt a meme of, of it because I couldn't explain what I meant, but I'll try my best for the show. Every time that you see, like, James Franco in his cockpit turning to his friend and giving, <laughs> like, a half-mouth smile, if you see it one time in the film, you see it about 50 times, and I wanted to reach into the screen and grab him out of that cockpit. And just can we can we make oh. our own version of that Nick Cage and um, oh god, I'm just like where it's so boring where it's the the two of them smiling at one another reaction shots. <laughs> <laughs> from it's I know what the it's from the film you're talking about it's from it's the um, film where he's a Nick Cage superfan the unbearable weight of massive talent that I watched That's a few it, yeah. weeks ago yeah. yeah. Didn't enjoy it. Um, anyway, no, it's a meme from that. Well, isn't that's it, not staying in the episode, it? Rob. Like this no, is just not, us chatting yeah. about this point. But yeah, the meme, the meme where they're both looking at each other and it's Pedro yeah. Pascal and Nick Cage. Pedro Pascal. There you go. Yeah, yeah. it could be that. It's hilarious. He just does a lot of like needless grinning in this film. It, it's it's like if he can't. That's that's James Franco up... though. Oh god, yeah. He's woefully, woefully miscast in this movie. There, there's a, a, a cast, sea yeah. of actors. Yeah. Who were around the same age at the Literally time. Literally anyone could have Good God. done better. Um, yeah, Agreed. so maybe we should move Agreed. into caveat. Favourite scenes. Quote unquote, favourite scenes. <laughs> Hello, Robbie here. Did you know you can support the podcast on Patreon? Join the supporting cast today and gain access to exclusive perks, such as discount codes, our monthly Patreon film votes, and the chance to get exclusive merchandise before anyone else. Search Fighting on Film on Patreon or find the link on our website. Thank you. Now back to the show. So I already feel like we've we've ate, eaten up a lot of runtime today going off on tangents, but I think maybe this week it won't be Have you never scene. listened to an episode of Fighting <laughs> on Film? <laughs> yeah, I know, right. Um, I think we've been fairer to this movie at the moment than we did with Wind Talkers, to be fair. Um, I don't oh, think give it time. Give it give time. Give it time. Jesus, yeah. My quote-unquote favourite scene is the bit. So it's halfway through the movie. I mean, it's genuinely about halfway through. They have a dogfight. At exactly one hour, eight minutes. Probably probably is, yeah. <laughs> so a, a guy gets his planes damaged and he, and he has to down it in no man's land between the French yeah. German trenches. And the plane flips. And as it flips, he gets flung out and then his arm gets <laughs> caught. Or his hand gets caught underneath. Laugh, but yeah. It's hilarious. His, his hand gets caught underneath the wing of the biplane. 
uh, of the new porn. Quite, quite well shot, that bit. It looks like, good. This is the, the way it crashes the is great. Yeah, everything looks okay. It's just the acting, the script, the characters, everything else is just rubbish. Just everything right? else that matters. Exactly. So you've got Franco circling and like looking at him, like what's going on, somehow avoiding all the anti-aircraft firing machine guns and whatever. So his mate's trying to get his hand Bottom. free. And it reminded me, if you know the episode, guys, you'll know what I'm talking about, guys and girls. The episode of The Simpsons where Homer's trying to get a free can of Buzz Cola from the vending machine and he reaches <laughs> up and he's holding it and he gets his arm caught and the fire brigades come and help him and they go, Mr. Simpson, are you just holding on to the can? Everyone's watching. Yeah. And everyone's yeah. watching and they laugh. And, and, machine. <laughs> and he lets go and he like, you know, he's hurt his arm, but he's fine. Reminded me of that. Where I'm like, you have your hand in a flying glove. Release your hand from the flying glove. You will be fine. Or shock horror, dig around your hand that's in mud and you will free your hand and you'll be fine. Right? Because let, let's unpack that scene, Bob. <laughs> I'm not even at the bit I hate the most. Yeah. I know. Let's unpack it. Let's get there. So, plane crashes. Dude's yeah. thrown out of the cockpit. His arm's trapped. It's not even his arm, it's his wrist. Literally. Yeah. Just a hand. Franco circles and decides, I need to land. I've got to help him. I need to help him. I need to land. 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 He's, he's going to land. He doesn't even ditch. He lands. We don't see him land, but we know he lands because he's on foot. Anyway. so We do see him land. We don't see him land, but we see the plane on a perfectly little ridge line. We see the plane dip behind the ridge and then cut to him out of the plane, I think. but yeah, No, no there is a genuine shot of him looking over the, the battle. When he's got out of his plane. Yeah, oh no, totally there is. Like you can he does <sighs> overlook no man's land, which you would think tactically, like a, a position like that would be really handy for either side to hold Spot, spotting artillery or something. <laughs> you know, and and, and, and I, not one German no The rolling planes of France are known for their tall god, ridges. Good god. Um, it's just contempt anyway, for the audience again. How how does he land in no man's land? That being seen, shell yeah. craters everywhere. How does he, how does yeah. he not get shot down? And I, then, problem is, problem is, I'm usually, I will let you finish, man. The problem is, I'm usually, I can suspend belief for these movies. Mm-hmm. I know we've really tried hard on this podcast to go, right, we know some things might not be 100% accurate, but it's entertainment and it's a movie. But yeah. when you genuinely just dislike something from the get go, mm-hmm. it's very hard to let these things go. You I'll can't have certain things. Yeah. 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 And um, this is just movie. It's just seen. It's just. So as, as soon as the dude crashes, a, a massive gun battle erupts in which oh, both yeah. sides start blazing away at one another. Um, and then Franco lands, runs through no man's land, just yeah, dodging bullets. Oh, yeah, gets to the dude, and he's like, I'll get you out, I'll get you out, don't worry. Looks at the guy, um, gives him a bit of a pull, tries yeah. to push the uh, the fuselage of the aircraft upwards. Can't do it. It's too heavy. A, that canvas French, aircraft is too French heavy. French chap who runs out and tries to help. Two get of them. Gun down. One, one gets gunned down instantly. Yeah. Second one arrives to help. Tries to lift the airplane again. Gets shot. Um, but thankfully, what's he carrying? A shovel. A shovel. Schro- Schrodinger's entrenching tool. Um, and we we get almost like a like a prequel to this to the film where. Franco later cuts off <laughs> later cuts off his own hand because he's trapped. Yeah. But in this in in this situation, he decides that the best way to use that shovel to get his friend free from the aircraft's wreckage the guy is, is, is to cut his fucking hand off. 
With just one, dig with him one out. blow. Just dig him out. I mean, well, that. I mean, the he one. He does blow try. Thing, to I, I to tried, his credit, Franco does try and dig does. him out, but not yeah. for long. I tried to. Put how a he didn't bit of, manage to do that, I don't know. No, I tried to put a little bit of head cannon on the cutting out of cutting of his hand because I was like, "Well, chaps did used to, sh- you know, sharpen the edges of their shovels for yeah, trench sure. fighting and what what have you." And I was like, "Maybe." And then I tried to play the film's advocate. The wrist like, is quite a strong like, bone, though, isn't I was, it? Oh, yeah, I know. I was so angry. If it had been um, fingers, maybe. Yeah, that, yeah, maybe. I mean, he's just, you know, he's got a, good, a solid connection, I guess. he got, got a cracking but connection. But I tried to um, I tried to call the movie's bluff, because obviously, knowing what I know, I now know about the <laughs> military advisor, I was like, I bet that's the wrong entrenching tool. I was so enraged. I was like, I bet that's the wrong one. And I looked it up. see whether it's French. <laughs> and it's a French entrenching tool. Oh, yeah. Shit. So I was like, Curse your film. It's like, I can't even be angry about that. Two, two for Flyboys. Zeppelin's did bomb Paris and it's the right entrenching <laughs> exactly, tool. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to bring on some subs in the final in the final thoughts and we'll win. <laughs> I bet um, you are. Anyway, but it's just, I just complete bollocks. I'm just like, come on. At this point in the movie, I'm like, how many set of pieces do you want? Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought they I, were just going to overfly like No Man's I Land. I thought they were. I, yeah. I really didn't think they were going to land. I, that was, oh, it's just I was a like, bit. what the? I, yeah. thought that's, I thought that character would just be written out there. You know? Yeah, I thought Immortal might get him or something like that. Yeah. 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 But um, funny, how, funny how that character is the CEO of the production company who, who made the film. Funny he it survives, is funny. isn't it's it? It's funny how he comes back later on with a hook, isn't it? Very interesting that he stays mm. in it. It's and my he, film, and I'm going to stay in it. <laughs> he saves the day a little yep. bit. That's um, it. And doesn't die in the end. God. Um, comes back with a hook, no less. Yep. And um, he can fly his plane perfectly fine. I believe, I believe, if I remember rightly, there were some pilots that were amputees. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly. I could be mistaken there. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. But... The, the timeline, like the literal in-film timeline, is so confused. Um, oh, God. We haven't even he gotten He recovered that from yet. that amputation and made himself a hook in about mm-hmm. a week, it felt. Oh, it's fine. Um, yeah, absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, my favourite scenes are all the ones with the awful CGI line. They are a bit bad, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. So apparently, apparently the um, one of the Lafayette I think it. I think it was it the Escadrille or was it Escadrille? Because the, um, there's there's the Lafayette Flying Corps, which were a subset right. who were actually mm-hmm. American pilots, and then the Lafayette and they had two lions, didn't they? Yeah, and they had two lions, and there's a picture at the end they use, and they show you the lion, um, and it's like James Franco's fighting with a, a cuddly toy lion in one bit. It's quite funny. Yeah. Um. Yeah. <laughs> um. It's like the like the doll in American Sniper. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and the, but oh, another trope for the trope tally. Um, on the last, on Cassidy's last mission, the line comes out and goes, and like looks at him flying off. <laughs> I know. I was like, for fuck's sake, like Scooby Doo. One of your finest, there, Rob. One of your finest. Um, oh. it's hard to pick a favorite scene, isn't it? I mean. Because I don't have any. That's we're, why. We're, we're treated to James Franco learning French in real time for at least a third of the oh, film. Oh, it's painful. It's 
painful. He, he uh, again, he's out on a training mission. They they have to land because they don't fill up the plane with enough petrol. Yeah. Um, and she don't, you know. Um, and they crash, and they, they he wakes up, and he's in a brothel, and he meets this lovely lady, um, Lucienne, mm. and um, they have a fantastic arc. Oh, it's one of the best subplots I've ever experienced. It's so and, long. Um, <laughs> Drags. Um, so she she's there in the in the in the brothel, and you know, he can't speak a lick of French. She can't speak a lick of English. You think you and might have just, learned some phrases while you were training to be a oh, you know, he's been be in France pilot in three France. months now. Yeah, and he hasn't bothered to learn it. You mean you've learned nothing from Renault's character? You've learned no French yeah. from him whatsoever. Oh, none, God. none. Good lord! Um, you know, your best friend, who you've been rooming with, speaks fluent French. Oh no, you've haven't, learned nothing. Tried yeah. to get any, any, you know, even pigeon French down. You haven't um, learned we oui, non. Le Grand Beer, like, come on, just the basics. <laughs> the British man, the American or British man on holiday basics. Come on. Um, so he encounters this woman who's tending to his wounds, and he assumes she's a prostitute because he would. She's in a brothel. She's a lady. She's a prostitute. Um, mm-hmm. Well, much to his his you know relief later on, turns out she was just delivering some produce and took it upon herself to you know help a produce prostitute. Yeah. <laughs> And tend his wounds. Um, so then he goes and finds it. Goes and finds out where she lives. Stalks her a bit. Finds her house. Bit weird. Um, a little bit. And they they have a have a chat. He, he encounters the children that she's looking after. Um, and he's like, oh shit, she's got kids. And then he's visibly relieved when he finds out that they're her nieces and nephews. I'll just put um, it there. And, <laughs> yeah, right. That's what he's thinking while she's showing him the photographs of her dead family. He's like, oh, thank God that they're these dead people's kids. Ew. Um, <laughs> and his face throughout that scene is completely inappropriate. It's just, Ugh. he doesn't even carry sad well he's, in that he's sequence. Just, he's just woefully miscast. At this point in his career, I know he's learned, he's got like, you know, kudos for playing James Dean a few years before. He's he's been like a, a a high schooler in uh freaks and geeks. But like mm. he he doesn't have enough range at this point in his career for me to mm. carry the emotional weight of this movie. He no. either look he either doing like a wry smile or just a blank expression. He does <laughs> even when his friends die in the movie, he doesn't look bothered. Yeah. I'm like, James, emote. Emote for God's sake. Come on. Tony Bills, they're like, for Christ's sake, James, emotes. Pieces of wood have better range in this movie. Oh, God. Um, so, yeah, he he basically learns French in real time. And we're there with him every step of the way as he stumbles through basic French. Um, until the point they kiss and they have a chat. And I, I was just really disappointed. They they tried to get in like the, the civilian... Um, yeah cost price of the war like civilians are being killed in this war uh, and they botched that sequence with him they do um, it better in the scene where the column of refugees get gunned down yeah but would the germans have actually done that i'm not sure I, I second I, world war i mean maybe i, I mean i can't say yeah. it didn't happen in the first world war i'm no expert but no i'm not either I, you know if if anyone out there knows whether the germans yeah, ever fired know. on civilian yeah columns do let us know but um, anyway but it's, it's just like that scene emo- hits more emotionally 
than this woman who you're not really properly introduced but to. It's ever. so brief. That oh, is so brief. brief. I know. And then you get this. Oh, yes. The, the, the scenes with Lucienne are copious and numerous yeah. and lengthy. Um, the, it comes to a culmination where the Germans make their big push that Rob mentioned earlier with the um, Mark 1 tanks that shouldn't have been there. Oh, Christ. And um, James takes it on himself to to fly his plane to go and rescue her. And he, he looks... He's, there's a moment where he's visibly surprised that she says, what about the enfant, the kids? And he's like, oh, shit, yeah, the kids. I completely <laughs> like, forgot I need to, to also the rescue the kids. So he takes the kids first. Yeah. And by this point, the Germans have arrived at the farm. You know, this yeah. massive push that the, the Germans have made, you know, in the summer of 1916 that isn't Verdun. Sure thing. And, yeah. um, <laughs> and he, he manages just to, to get there and, and, and spirit her out of the house. Get her into the back of the back of the suddenly two seater Newport. But it was already single two seater. seater. It already was. No, it wasn't. Was it not? No. Is the sequence is where there's nothing behind him. Is that a big continuity error? I didn't notice. Might be. And you know why I know this, Rob? Because there's enough sequences in the film where bullet holes appear right behind the seats of the pilots. Oh, okay. With no repercussions. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because those bullets would. Yeah. The There's a scene of... right at the end where Franco's plane is riddled, and I'm like, how one of them is not hit him? Yeah. Yeah, I'm willing for this bloke to get a spinal injury, so I have to put him out, put him out of fucking misery. Good so, God. So he rescues her. She's shot as they take off through the shoulder, and he's like, there's a very long sequence. Of... <laughs> I laughed so hard when she got shot. I, my brain had just turned off so much to every character that when she got shot, I howled with laughter. Because so it was bad. predictable. It was predictable I was just as well. Like, I'm like, she'll be fine. I just, and like, after it, after I stopped, I had to pause, compose myself. The bit, where and... he, the bit where he shoots those two guys as they take off, though. How? The angles are all wrong. Yeah, I know. He was well out of the arc of fire for the Vickers. Anyway, yeah. so he, he takes her to the airfield, gets her first aid, and then there's like there's at least like eight minutes worth of just him sat next to her while she's asleep, and it's supposed to like <laughs> it's just show, it's it's supposed to show he's he's worried and the passage of time and will she make it to the morning, and there's a way of doing that much better than they did by showing yeah. all eight minutes of him sat there. Yeah. Anyway. What grinds my gears about their relationship is he sends her off to Reims and go on, Rob. I know you want to. It's fucking Ren. I was like, you're serving in a French outfit, wearing a French uniform, having been taught by French people. The least you can do is learn a little bit of French. I know that the British call like Eep wipers and Albert, they call Albert and things like that. Because they're cute British Tommies, right? They're not <laughs> serving with the French, right? Most of them lads probably never even read a French word in their entire lives. But I can't buy that Franco's character, who's been like trained up by Jean Renault for weeks and, and, and been under his command for months, wouldn't know the name. Oh, I just, I just, I just, I'm sorry. I'll go on forever about it. Yeah. But it was just, it really annoyed me. And I'm like, she's not going to know where that is either. Anyway, so they meet up in Reims Christ. and um, he says, we'll meet in Paris after the war. Never see her again. <laughs> just Never see her again. And we've, then had, in... we've had about 40 minutes <laughs> of their relationship. Of her. Yeah. And it's probably and then you never see her again. Her character is 
you know, there's nothing wrong with it. It just happens. You get that handled. emotional shot where she's like, yeah, exactly the same shot from Sleepy Hollow, like looking yeah. down that street. Yeah. And then they um, just write her out at the end with, yeah. He never, he went to he, Paris. He but went he to Paris, but he, he never found her. I'm not surprised. It's a huge thing. Oh, no. I'm, I'm, I really even regret getting so invested her. in their relationship now. I want to see the sequel where, where just James Franco banging on doors until he tries to find her. <laughs> like taken. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, 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 that does drag the film a little bit. And I think the film would have been a lot better. If they'd, you know, made that a little bit. This is my whole theory of people who haven't made war films before making their first war film and thinking you have to have a romantic subplot. Or at least, or you have to do it the way that this movie does it. And I'm like, there are plenty of war movies with romantic subplots that aren't nearly as. Have some balls and have it actually be a prostitute. Yeah, you know. It's 2006. And I know I'm not going to compare this to The Cruel Sea, but the way that the female characters in The Cruel Sea are treated. Yeah, like, a fifty-year-old film. Uh, yeah, exactly. Does it you know, in, in an era where women were treated horrendously in film sometimes, um, and it's still happening. It was still happening in in Flyboys in two thousand and six. But we are. And she's just then like, in and she's written down on a piece of paper in English. What she's like, I don't want to fall for you because I will worry about you. Please stop visiting me and the kids. Um. It's just yeah, it just drags. She's given zero to work with in this film, it's, and it's you can yeah, tell she's probably a, a decent actress. It's a shame she's she wasted. is a decent actress because she's gone on to do lots of really highly mm. praised French film and TV, and yeah. it's a shame. And I and I, we, we might as well jump into final thoughts because um, we sort of have anyway, like we always do. Can I can I just can I just discuss Sorry. my actual favorite scene? Sorry, go on. My favorite scene is where he rides a horse up and down in front of her and the kids. Fucking hell. For like That's five minutes. Painful to watch. Where he tries to explain yeah. that he's a cowboy. Yeah. Because the film the kids Mar- that have Mar- no idea what a cowboy his, is. His backstory. Yeah. Christ. It's painful. Yeah. I hope that it's horse got paid for a fat whack for being in this movie. Yeah, probably. I really do. Yeah. Um and, and and that's and that's my problem. Again, I was about to caveat into following scenes there that it's a shame that someone like like Jennifer Decker, the biggest Western movie in her CV at the moment is Flyboys, and it's a mm. shame that actors who are clearly way way better than the source than the script are in this. Like, and this is where my first point in Final Thoughts this week comes in: is Franco, unfortunately, at this point of his career for me, one he's miscast, and two he just doesn't have the range, charisma, the emotion yet mm. to be able to do this. He isn't yeah, interesting enough. Path, no, the character just isn't interesting enough. He wants to fly because he saw. Some um, some 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 stock footage of. Oh, I like that. Planes. You know, that's one of the scenes I, I did actually that's like. Fine, right? I, I thought that you, was a nice you... way of introducing some context, and I like the fact they had a narrator in the in the you know in the cinema. Mm-hmm. Did you reading know that the newsreel? I thought it was funny because there's a clip of one of the 1920s First World War films in there, and I was like, "How's he watching that? It doesn't hasn't happened yet." Anyway. Um, <laughs> Isn't there tanks in it as well? When tanks probably in there as well. Been tanks. Yeah. There's, there's Malin, a clip from Malin's SOM film, which wouldn't have even happened yet. Um, anyway. Yeah. Um, anyway. Franco went on to fight in the SOM. So yeah, of course. Over the yeah. SOM. Over the oh Christ, yeah. So he's not interesting enough, but every everyone else is. Mm. Everyone else is very yeah. interesting. 
they've actually got skin in the game they want to prove things to their families you know the film should really have been about eugene bullard because his story is so much more interesting there's so much more to to go in over go over there i would have kept the i would have kept um abdul salis in the role and I would have built the film around him because there's so yeah. much more to go into there. You still could have had Renault. You still could have had these flying sequences. You probably could cut a film about his character out of this. Yeah. But then this is where the issues come in. You know, it, he just isn't engaging enough. And I end up not caring about anybody because it's forcing me to care about Franco. Mm. I forgot who people were because everyone looks the same in their flying helmets and all the planes look the same and all the German planes yeah, look there's the same. Yeah, there's a couple of the background actors within that group, which like, I, there was a couple of times where I was like, oh, is he is he alive? Yeah, I exactly. I for, I'd forgot it was someone else. in No Man's Land was the same guy until he came with his hook for a hand. Yeah. And I was like, I forgot to say. Because there's a dude that has like battle stress and can't yeah. fly for a while. I forgot. I forgot. And then he pops even... up again at the end of the right film. at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, what? You've left him. Yeah. We haven't seen him for half an hour. I'd completely no. forgotten about that dude. And there isn't, it's too long as well. It's it's probably mm. 40 minutes too long. And I don't even, you know, you can even just trim down some of the overly done CGI and you cut it down enough. Yeah. Um, it doesn't know what its set piece is. It wants to have a big Zeppelin. It wants to have this thing in No Man's Land. It also wants to have a personal jewel at the end with uh Def, the, the black falcon but he's not an interesting villain anyway well because like, there's no you don't hear him speak no all we know is he shoots at civilians him. and he shoots at downed pilots yeah and he's a bit it. of a dick doesn't get any lines yeah. and it's such a and it, i think it, this is where it, it, i get so angry is that we've covered bad movies that are so bad they're good this is just bad and I think mm. it's the most egregious waste of $60 million ever because everything else in the movie, you know, clearly, the produ- as I said earlier, the production people have put effort in, the, the costume department have put Mise effort in. Mise-en-scene's great. Mise-en-scene, the, the, the guys who did the CGI have worked overtime for 2006. It really still holds up for me. Um, mm, that's very true. It really, really does. You can see what they go on to do. You know, they're probably some of the best at it in the business right now. Mm. But the, the script is just bad. The casting isn't great. Characters that should be developed aren't, and it Reno is totally wasted. Reno's just wasted. He's just there. And he gets some the scene, horrible the lines. The scenes he's in are great. Like there's certain scenes where he actually manages to Im- imbibe some oomph mm-hmm. into them. But yeah, even he Renault, can't lift he's going to do his best, isn't he? Yeah, you know? and it's just I don't. And he's I very just well cast this is a, for the character as well. Yeah, I think. this is a really weird misstep in Franco's he, career. His, his character could have had a film of its own. Could have, yeah. Quite frankly, the, the Lafayette Escadrille themselves are interesting. There's a 1958 film about them. Yeah, um, there's a 28 film too. No, I guess there. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, there's, so there's know, been a couple of films about them. Uh, right. Thank God. So and they're an interesting unit, but I mean, I'll let I'll let, I'll let Matt go into his final this film now. But does I hate. Yeah, bring a lot of inconsistency, and a it lot does. of people say that it's clouded. Let me say that again. A lot of people say that it's clouded the history of the Lafayette Escadrille because mm. it's confused characters and um taking influences from various places and it hasn't represented like um bullard for well you know for mm-hmm. one um but i completely agree i completely agree um as as we've said there's some nice cgi some nice flying shots there's some decent cinematography in this the mise-en-scene is good we really need to put that on a t-shirt i say that a lot i know yeah. <laughs> um, that's mise-en-scene t-shirt yeah yeah um but it's flat 
It's overly long. It's so flat. It's so long. Um, once you get an hour and a half in, you're like, right, they are the end now. Oh no, we've got to do this. Oh no, we've got to finish the mission we started off at the we we started at the start of the movie. Who cares? Yeah. yeah. Who fucking get, cares? We need to bomb that. We need to bomb that. We really need to bomb that ammo dump. Fucking out like and spend that this, budget. When a movie is just bad, it it grates and it's annoying. And to end my final thoughts, really, is I hated the movie in two thousand and seven when I was fourteen. And I hate it now that I'm nearly 30. It hasn't changed in the in the 15 years. I thought I might have softened to it. I thought yeah. I might have, you know, I've, I've enjoyed some Franco movies since. I thought, oh, I might like this one. No, no, just a dud, a right dud. You know, I'd happily jam my biplane into the uh, the Zeppelin to Zeppelin, stop watching. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I can only agree, really. I mean, there's some nice visceral detail in the film, like people falling from cockpits, um, people being... Yep killed by machine gun fire rather than the plane just getting hit and spiraling off out of shot um and it shows the more visceral reality of air to air combat in world war one um i think well there's films 30 40 50 100 years ago that did exactly that yeah exactly um, yeah you know yeah um so it's not that isn't groundbreaking um the there are some nice moments and we've I've talked about the one between Skinner and Briggs, and that mm-hmm. is one of the genuinely nice moments of the film that could have been so much more um, and was sadly wasted. And we touched on it a little bit, but I think they've made the Germans the baddies, and they're just the baddies. They We aren't really told why they're the, the baddies. It's just hammered home that they're not good people. Yeah. Um, which, they're the faceless Germans to shoot it's, at. It, yeah, that it's a little bit too black and white. It's in got no nuance. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's got no nuance. Um, and I'll I'll just I'll just conclude on how much I hate the ending of this film. So we have the the bombing raid, where the the remains of the squadron go up to cover the bombing raid, and then we get some nice Hadley pages, um, on a, on a bombing run. Mm-hmm. The 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 chap with the hook comes back. The 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 dude with combat stress, and yep. just to pull it together and get back in the aircraft and he's going to make his family proud because his family's got a long um you know military um service History. background and yeah yeah exactly and he saves the day a little bit the hook dude saves the day a bit skinner saves the day a little bit in turn again very formulaic um but they managed to bomb the um the the, the depot the ammunition yeah. dump um, and you think, oh well, there you go. That they've they've done that. But yeah. You would think the Zeppelin battle would have been the big conclusion. It feels like it because that's the behemoth to borrow the Battlefield yeah. One um, reference. And there's there is there is a there is a little bit of conclusion in that sequence as Cassidy's arc is you know, ended yeah. by the, the noble sacrifice. And that adds further to Franco wanting to avenge him with, you know, against the Black Falcon. You could have just faded um, out over them flying back and shown and had those little what happened to them after the war bits. And that'd have been fine. It'd have been a fine ending. They could they could have they could have had they take out the 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 Zeppelin and then there's a one on one fight between Yeah. In fact you could just cut that in with the way the CGI is a bit seamless. And doesn't really, yeah, you know, doesn't really. There's no need to have the air they're in. them all return back yeah. to the airfield. 
I'll do some fan stuff. <laughs> Christ. Do a fucking better job. Christ. Oh my god, it's a hate edit. Um <laughs> I hate edit. <laughs> well they they go back to the air airfield, they you know, there's a conversation, they, they go back up and they have to do the last mission. Yeah. And it does feel like it adds an extra 20 minutes to the film that's unnecessary because really not only does. do they do that last mission where the bombing raid is successful, then they have the duel afterwards. Yeah. And the way your that your it patience ends, with the film is just gone by that It's gone point. by that point. It's shot. It's literally the ending of it is astounding because Franco's wounded and we think, oh no, the Black Falcon's going to shoot him down. The Black Falcon pulls alongside him and he's like glaring at him. I'm going to, I'm going to, toy with you a little bit kind of thing and then kind of like franco puts his puts his tiller over and he kind of like pulls out of a little little flip and then the next shot of him is he's there with the pistol the revolver and he shoots literally shoots the black falcon with the revolver and um the black falcon is shocked Yeah, yeah suitably shocked and crashes in a fiery ball of flame obviously yeah. Um, and then the film concludes. And it's she's like you go, Oh, okay, so he he was okay and he oh, well, he did whatever. a stupid unlikely maneuver. And then we find yeah. out that, that you know there's gonna be no conclusion to the forty no, minutes of B plot that we experienced. I say experienced, I mean endured. Jeez, and yeah. and that's like a, a second kick within like Yeah. 10, 10 seconds of being mm-hmm. oh the film's over at last yeah in in list of war movies we really not enjoyed on the show Wind this, Talkers this is, is up there I think this might even be above Wind Talkers because at least with Wind oh, Talkers there as is much as everyone knows enjoy. I dislike Wind Talkers yeah, for yeah. the way it betrayed the Wind Talkers legacy this is betrayed Bullard's legacy. Oh, massively. Basically. Yeah, there's more interesting stories to be told about these people than yeah. what this movie served mm. up in 2006. It's just a shame. It's a real shame. And I think I think that probably ends this week's review. I mean, we didn't enjoy it. We know a lot of the final film clan didn't. Um, but some, you can, as I say, you can't watch AAA titles every week. Sometimes you've got to some people did enjoy leagues. it. Some, yeah, some, some of them, people do. Some of them, I mean, they you might. know, the one word reviews were positive, but. Yeah. If you, you enjoyed know, it, let us know why. We'd love to know. Um, but mm. as I say, movie reviews, they're subjective. Don't forget to join us next week for another war movie review. Give us a like, a subscription, a follow, a review, a written review on Apple Pods would be lovely if you wouldn't mind. Very helpful. Helps the show a lot. And we'll catch you again next time. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye, guys. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.